So this is my fifth call today. Hopefully the internet holds out. Oh goodness. More so hopefully a Zoom holds out. For just sure. Waiting, just waiting to see what they're doing. Um, thank you guys for being on here. I won't take much of your time. I know we're all busy. So um, take a few minutes and ask how you guys are doing. Everybody going, you guys doing all right? We're surviving over here. Um, Matt's working a lot, just not super busy at the hospital. So it's adjustment at our house. We don't see him a lot and lots of homeschooling and lots of playing outside and yep. lots of not leaving the house. So that's different, but it's good. We're surviving just like the rest of <laughs> the rest of the world. Good. How about you? Yeah, we're doing okay. Uh, it's a little bit Lord of the Flies here today uh, with the children in the backyard. Um, but other than that, we can't complain. And, you know, honestly, I was telling Jeff the other day, like, man, the weather has been <laughs> phenomenal. I can't imagine had this quarantine happened at Christmas time or, you know, in the middle of summer when you're not allowed to touch a pool <laughs> and it's so hot. So we're trying to find the silver lining, uh, in the midst of crazy little people that just need to get some energy out. It's Ooh. been blizzarding in Colorado. I feel so bad for those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they can't do it. We're super duper lucky. They are absolutely in the house. Like there's no... Um, yeah, they're mad. They're yeah. just mad. Yeah, no kidding. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, cool deal. Um, so I sent you an outline earlier this week. That's really broad strokes of what this will look like. I am such a fan of just having a conversation about the topic at hand. And then if something else branches off of that, um, I don't stop it. Okay. So um, we'll see where it goes, where you guys kind of carry a conversation, your thoughts, your expert opinion on things. Uh, but what we're going to be talking about today is fasting, um, mostly. Uh, and the reason for that is really because we've been talking about a lot inside of OPEX recently. Um, we have no solid nutritional guidelines we give everybody. We make the guidelines fit the person and we just try to hold them accountable to that as best we know it. And then we bring experts like you guys in to give a little more information on the things that we A, don't have the scope to handle and B, may not just know. Um, so with that being said, a quick introduction from both of you. Uh, doesn't matter who goes first. You guys can flip a coin, play rock, paper, scissors. But um, just who you are, what you do, how long you've been doing it, and then a little bit on CLM Kitchen and how you guys got started. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Sarah, you want to go first? Yeah, I was planning on doing the first little introduction. Okay. All right. Yep, hit it. So, so um, I'm Sarah Fox. I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for 14 years. 15, almost, almost 15. I worked in critical care setting for um, 13 years. I did nine years in ICU and then four years in the emergency department. And then now I've been doing this, doing more nutrition. I got a nutrition certification through the Nutrition Network. I have CrossFit certifications and I've coached at a CrossFit gym. Obviously not now, but hopefully once <laughs> the gym opens back up, we'll be doing some more fitness together. Um, but our office, we opened CLM last July, Concord Longevity Medicine. Um, we really focus on four pillars that help our patients. We do fuel, fitness, fasting, and faith. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about fasting today. Megan's our local expert on that for sure. Um, so I'm going to introduce her because she would not say anything about herself. I'm quite certain when that's her point, but she finished residency in 2017 and worked primary care for two years. And then last year in 2019, she got board certified in obesity medicine. And she's been using these in order to take great care of our patients in our office. Um, so that's basically who we are. And awesome. so I started our, the food part of our um, website long before CLM opened, it was kind of what introed me into the nutrition world. I just loved to cook and was having so much fun in the kitchen, playing with healthy food and not always super healthy food, but just, you know, experimenting and seeing what would happen. And um, so that's how that handle got started. And then now once we opened our office, it's a great way for me to post new recipes for our patients and encouraging words and that kind of stuff. Awesome. Cool deal. Um, so thanks for that. That was great. That's a uh... That's really cool. I didn't know you've been a nurse for that long. 
Um, and also there's a bunch of stuff inside of there, even looking through your site and maybe I skipped over it or whatever, but, um, I know that that's really good information. Um, so really simplistically, if you could give a, as layman of a term as you can, because in the conversations I've had, it seems like it's all over the place as far as understanding of fasting. Um, what is a very simple definition of what a fast is? Okay. So I think it's really important to know what it is and what it isn't because I think a lot of times people get them confused. So one of the key words when we're talking about fasting is we say that it is a voluntary abstinence or a period of time that you refrain from food. Um, I say voluntary because a lot of times when people hear fasting, they'll say, well, wait, so you're just telling me I'm going to starve myself? No, starvation is involuntary. That happens in wartime or a famine. That's not having access to food. Fasting is different because this is a voluntary, it's a choice that you're taking a period of time and saying, I'm going to let my body rest from nutrition in order to let some other things heal themselves uh, improve themselves inside the body because we're learning more and more that that refrain from nutrition actually triggers a lot of other cascades and hormones and things like that to improve metabolism and longevity among um, a lot of other new findings and research. Could you cover just a few of those of those benefits um, for fasting outside of obviously not having food for a period of time for people that are looking for weight loss, things like that. The actual health benefits and the research, can you cover that? Yes. So there kind of, when we start talking to patients about it, there are three major areas that uh, the benefits of fasting fall into from the physical standpoint, when we're talking about the body, we can talk about the metabolic uh, benefits in fasting. So that would include hey, I've got diabetes and I want to get my sugars under control. I want to try to reverse my diabetes. That could include, hey, I've got some extra weight. I want to get the weight off. Um, and, and kind of underlying all of that with the, the metabolic benefits is what we call uh, insulin resistance. And that really is a big umbrella for a lot of different issues that fall underneath it that fasting does help to improve. So we're talking about high blood pressure. We're talking about, again, diabetes and obesity, those types of things. Those all fall into that category of insulin resistance, which fasting is a great method to uh, make your body sensitive to insulin again. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Okay, number two, this is probably the one that Sarah and I think is the coolest because a lot of times fasting gets thrown into that bucket as, well, I don't need to lose weight. I'm I don't have diabetes. I don't, I don't need to fast. Well, I argue that as long as there's not a health contraindication, yes, you do, because fasting improves our longevity. And it does that through a process called autophagy or autophagy. Okay. Um, and I don't want to get too off topic before I, so you just stop me if we need to get back on. Track. You can roll. It's fine. Let's go. But, um, Autophagy has great implications when we're talking about wanting to keep a good quality of life, not just live longer, but live longer and do it well, where our bodies are not breaking down. We're not developing cancers. We're not developing dementia. We're not developing autoimmune diseases, which by the way, all of those things are on the rise, especially in our Western culture. So fasting has benefits of those, of being able to kind of reset some of those things through the process of autophagy. So that's number two, fasting helps with longevity. And then number three, um, it, it kind of ties into longevity, but we're talking about the, the gut rest that you get with a or an extended fast. And what that does, if you really think about your GI tract, your GI tract is the one organ system that is exposed to foreign substances all day, every day in the, in the form of food and liquid. So it stands to reason that the GI tract is heavily tied to our immune system way beyond what we ever gave it credit for years ago. You may have heard lots of talk about 
microbiomes and gut flora and leaky gut and all these words that are coming up. These are big buzzwords because we're really figuring out, okay, the bacteria that live in our gut, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And the ratio of and the makeup of those really impact our health. So in a fast, when you remove those foreign substances to allow your GI tract to rest, you're also improving over time your immune system and how it regulates the rest of the body in identifying foreign substances correctly and not identifying normal substances incorrectly, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So would you venture to say that in this current landscape that we're in, everybody's at home, everybody's worried about being as healthy as possible, protecting their immune system and staying as resili resilient as possible, that fasting is a really good place to be in um, for overall health, not just now, but well into the future because nobody really knows what to expect there. Uh, I, th I think that's a two-pronged question. Mm -hmm. So for when sure. we're talking about a quarantine and trying to keep our bodies healthy in light of a pandemic, kind of what we have recommended to our patients is no fasting longer than 24 hours unless we're talking to them and kind of get a sense of where they're at in their fasting journey. The reason I say that is anything like a prolonged fast, okay, say, and when I say a prolonged fast, I'm meaning anything longer than 24 hours. When we talk about that time frame, in the long-term setting, it does improve the immune system. But in the short-term setting, it's actually seen as a stress to the body. So, and again, this is really theoretical because so much of the research in fasting is relatively new. We have lots of questions, we have a few answers, and we're hoping to get the rest of those answers as, as time goes on. But theoretically, in those prolonged fasts when you're trying to kind of um, improve your immune system over time, in the acute setting, that cortisol level could rise because it sees a fast as a stress to the body. And when your cortisol level rises, that can actually drop your immune system a little bit low. Now that being said, anyone who's trying to say, well, okay, but I, I really want to introduce this into my life, we feel pretty safe to say, you certainly can create an eating window, and we'll get to that in a little bit, I know, um, and then, 24-hour fast are pretty safe to say it's not enough of a stress to the body to cause um, an upheaval in the immune system um, to really drop it to where people would be more prone to illness. Um, so that question, yes, I think most people should be kind of working toward some element of fasting, but in our current situation, I wouldn't recommend anybody go out and do a five-day fast if they've never done it before. Yes. <laughs> the smaller fasts are super important because they help build a lot of confidence. They give, I mean, they give the people that are looking into this lifestyle a lot of confidence. Say, hey, I went 24 hours without anything but water. That's yeah. awesome. That's so cool. And it gives your brain and your body, you know, um, kind of some memory and some muscle there too. We like to call it a fasting muscle. We have a couple of patients that we swear we're like, you have the best fasting muscle. They can just stop eating and not obsess. <laughs> They're yeah. amazing. So it gives you a lot of confidence and practice. So. so, so that's kind of what I want to go into next. I think, thank you for the overview of fasting. I'm going to, I'd imagine that we could probably go into that for hours because I'm such a fan of all Maybe that stuff. Geek out for like oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. We don't, have, we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> but um, what I want to go into next is kind of how you guys would recommend um, who's a fast for. I know we said everybody, but generally speaking, who who do you guys speak to the most? That's like okay, this is going to work for you in these kind of time frames as a starting point. Kind of what is your process of walking them through that um, over? I don't know, about a long period of time. Uh, I would say, well, first of all, when we have a new patient come in, we talk to them about what their goals are, yep. okay, and say, okay, what are, you, what are you going for? Are you going because you want to, you know, bend down at 80 years old and be able to pick up your great-grandchild and remember their name, mm -hmm. you know, and stand back up? 
or is it, no, I just really want to prevent diabetes. I have a strong family history because all of those things really tie into what their recipe is going to look like. I'm going to let Sarah touch a little bit on how we get somebody ready to implement fasting because before you really can fast well, you have to know how to feast well. So I'm going to let her kind of explain what I mean by that. Awesome. So we start with um, cleaning up the diet big time, you know, getting the sugar out, the processed foods. We have everybody clean out their pantries, looking at anything from salad dressings and mayonnaise to soup labels and looking for those hidden and added sugars. Because when, if, I'm not sure if Megan's going to talk about it, but the, when you are in fasting mode, if you're burning through sugar, you kind of feel terrible once you've burned through all your sugar. Um, so if you're entering a fast burning sugar, it makes the rest of the fast a lot harder. So we really encourage people off that sugar, lower carb lifestyle. We don't necessarily say a ketogenic diet, but we do like to lower the carbs and really get them kind of used to fat burning, you know, using the fat as fuel instead of the carbohydrates as fuel, um, before they enter their fasting. But we start them widening that, um, fasting window anywhere from, you know, just overnight, just 13 straight hours, try to go without food and then extending that some up to 14, then 15, 16, and then making your eating window smaller every time that fasting window gets a little longer until we enter a place where we think you can go a whole 24 hours without food. And then after you've accomplished that, and then we start looking into maybe a protocol of a 36 a week or two 24s per week, or even up to 72 every two weeks, you know, it just depends on our their patient, like Megan said, their goals, but, um, it does take a lot of practice and it does take a very clean diet in order for a fast to feel pretty good. You can fast after eating a candy bar. It just hurts. Yeah. It's not feel great. Uh, <laughs> so we do, we do something similar. Uh, and that's really where we try to bring other experts in because we talk a lot about covering, and I just put it out this week. Um, the five basic nutrition skills, and one of those is low processed foods, um, whole foods, as close as you can get to it within your resources and what's available to you. Things like chewing their food, um, noticing when they're hungry, when they're full, to really get them set up before they ever start asking questions about any of the other diets that are in the world, keto, fasting, whatever the case may be. We always wanna make sure they have those skills set up. So is that kind of similar with you guys? That's, yeah, that's really good uh, advice because one of the biggest things is trying to retrain people to eat when they're hungry. Yep. Uh, and, and actually, after they've met with Sarah and she's kind of explained to them, because in, in our culture, you've got, you're inundated by commercials and nutrition lingo saying, hey, this is what you need to do. No, this is what you need to do. So it actually gets really complicated trying to learn what real food is. So once Sarah has kind of taken them through that, then we talk about, okay, well, what are the physical cues of hunger? Does your stomach feel empty? Is it growling? Are you salivating? Is your mouth watering? And really kind of go back to some primal uh, signs of true hunger because more often than not, we'll find ourselves popping popcorn just because you munch on something when you watch a movie or because you just walked in the kitchen because you were bored. And so stopping yourself and saying, and let me just clarify right now, in this pandemic, this question is a really tough one to answer. But <laughs> when you walk in the kitchen and you say, okay, am I getting ready to eat because I'm hungry? Or am I getting ready to eat because I'm stressed out or because there's nothing else to do? And, you know, kind of fill in that blank. And sometimes you're going to have successes and you're going to walk back out. And other times you're going to have failures and you're going to say, I really want the Reese peanut butter cup. Yes. Yep. Um, that's an excellent point of what you said. Yeah. And do you guys talk about, um, and I know you do, this is really just to bring it up in conversation. Um, do you guys talk about, um, I know you mentioned emptying out the pantry, but as far as, because you know, tell somebody to empty out their pantry and next time they go to the grocery store, um, what's really stopping them from putting that back into their pantry, right? So do you go over how to create um, ideas around shopping? So eat 
something before you go so you have less cravings things things along those lines you guys cover that stuff with them too sarah or no you know i don't do a lot of the eat before you go type of tips but i do like plan like please go to the grocery store with a plan have your list have your brands that you know you can trust i um love sending out a pdf that has all these different brands that are shelf stable and are not full of sugar so there it's out there it's just harder to find you have to know what you're looking for so you can have pantry goods um, there's plenty of clean stuff available, but you just have to know what you're looking for. So I really, really try to get my patients just going with a plan. Um, and that's my big, biggest advice, but I do like the eating before you go. Because then you have to say, oh, that looks good. That looks good. Well, I started that because I worked for my house when I noticed that every time we went to the store and we had no food before we left because we went to the store because we had no food, um, like half of the cart was just horrible choices Junk. things generally we wouldn't eat and um when we ate before we went hey we didn't make such bad choices this time look at that so yeah. hey if we're going great, to the store yeah. <laughs> yeah. um that pdf do you have that um on your website no we use it we give it to our patients but would you be would you be willing to give that out yeah cool so we can set that up people that uh listen to this they can download that it's just something to think about absolutely awesome thank you for that that's cool I like those uh those little nuggets. That's good advice. And rather than me trying to make it, you already have it. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a good resource for people. Um, thank you. All right. So so we talked about kind of how they get started, and I understand that it's super individual. We definitely align there, which is why I wanted to talk to you guys. Um, how do you guys incorporate fitness with um, the fasting? Because there are, if you have somebody that's fasting for up to 30, 24, or 36 hours, depending on the person, but they love exercise, um, that's really tough for them. So how do you guys kind of manage that? Or do you do any of that at all? I know, Sarah, you said you were coaching. Still, I so. do. Yeah, I've done, I've done lots of fasts and lots of extended fasting and had plenty of workouts in there and plenty of non-workouts. So <laughs> it really is very fast specific. It's how a lot about how well you prepared a lot about how intense you're going on your workouts. So if you're in the gym going high intensity for an hour, sweating buckets, um, you might be able to do that during a fast, but you're probably going to peter out on that. Um, you're going to find out, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> a long steady state run I have found is fine. I ran a marathon fasted. Yeah. Um, so it, that is very doable, especially once you've gotten to fat burning and your body's really good at burning those ketones. Um, but the high intensity stuff is generally not super recommended. I think um, some people are able to do it at least on the shorter fast, maybe 24, maybe 36. But when you're getting into three days, um, high intensity needs to go down. I think you can still do weight training uh, as long as you're just mindful that you're not going to be hitting PRs. You're not going to be doing single heavy deadlifts. Just you can move some weight around and move your body around. But we definitely encourage movement the whole fast. We say, don't sit around, use this. Your body is in a really cool state of autophagy. You, it's amazing the clear headedness you get and the energy you feel. So use it, go out and move around, play, play ball with your kids. So cool. unconditional um, exercise. Yeah, for sure. I wanna take a couple steps back because you mentioned two things in there. Um, I, want, I would love for you guys to just give some clarification on for people that are gonna listen. Um, one, autophagy can briefly explain that um, without it being like, you know, <sighs> like, <laughs> I know that's hard, but um, briefly uh, give a quick rundown of that. And then um, shorter um, time frames for fasting. So we talked about going a little bit longer, 24, 36, uh, but what if we're doing something less than that? Um, so can we kind of go over those two things? Sure. Yeah, so you don't want me to start with the mTOR pathway and how it gets inhibited and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can, but you may lose <laughs> a few people. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to what the word actually means. So when we talk about autophage, this does go back to some biology and some Latin, but that means self-eat. And a lot of times people really get nervous about fasting because they say, oh no, that puts me into starvation mode and that means my body's going to eat itself. And no. That does not mean your body's going to eat its muscle, but it does mean that your body is going to go into this self-scan. You kind of have to think of it back to like, you know, um, hunting and gathering days. If there wasn't a good crop or if the herd had moved on faster than the group of people following could, so they don't have access to food, well, then their bodies have to get really efficient at using the energy that they have stored. So after a certain period of time, this trigger 
of autophagy it happens. And so what that means is the body kind of does a self-scan and it goes through and it looks at organelles and proteins and cells that are not working correctly and says, well, that's not working. That's broken. So why are we going to waste energy on it? Let's get rid of it or recycle it. Oh, and today's Earth Day. Reduce, reuse, recycle. There you go. So, <laughs> uh, so when your body does that, it says, okay, let's get rid of those cells. Okay. So it does it. Well, now, lo and behold, we found the herd. So we're going to shoot down a bison and we're going to eat it. Okay, now upon refeeding, your stem cells are stimulated and they replace the cells that have been recycled or gotten rid of. So what does that mean in terms of like our longevity and types of things like that? Well, that means, okay, if you look at dementia, dementia, many of them, especially like Alzheimer's, are protein tangles, broken proteins uh, that get caught up in the, in the brain and they uh, disrupt the synapses, okay? Well, if, we're, if we have autophagy going on, then those are proteins that more than likely are going to be recycled or gotten rid of by the body because they're not useful, okay? You've got an autoimmune process where a cell is recognizing something in the body as foreign when it's not. Well, that cell's not working correctly. So now you've got a process that gets rid of those cells that are not functioning correctly in identifying foreign substances. And the same thing for cancer. So you've got all sorts of these chronic diseases that we have seen really kind of taking off in the last 50 or 60 years, especially in our Western culture. And yes, what we eat and what we put in our body is certainly a factor. But there's also this idea that we've kind of lost the balance of feast and fast. We just know how to feast. And there were a lot of, uh, there's a lot of processes that need to happen in order to kind of keep that body, and autophagy is one of them, uh, to keep bad things from happening long-term. Awesome, cool. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. If there's any questions afterwards, I'll just refer them over to you. But I get it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So. Um, Next question was on uh, just the shorter windows. We did talk about 24s, 36s, and things, um, and those longer windows of fasting. Um, a lot of what we see on our end, there's people playing with um, the ranges of shorter fasting windows. Some people get into like 24 hours. Um, I have a client that's also a physician. She's in like 24 hour windows a couple of times a week and then she's shorter. Can you just talk about good recommendations for starting on the shorter end and kind of extending that out? I know you touched on it earlier, but just um, is everybody kind of where, what's a good starting point if you are going on the lower end and then how to kind of walk that up in actual numbers? Yeah, I really like starting at 13. Like if you haven't done a pour, really just try to go 13 hours, push it so that your eating time is shorter than your fasting time. So that if you're fasting for 13, then you're not eating for, or you're, you're eating for 11. Does that make sense? It does. And then after that, we usually like to push it to 16, um, to 16 to eight. So 16 hours, not eating eight hours eating mm -hmm. and then 18, six. So 18 hours, not eating six hours eating and 20 to four. Um, and then after that, you usually just go straight to the 24 hour. So we just kind of step it up incrementally and we encourage people to do it three to five days a week. Um, recommend, I, I prefer five just because that way you have a really nice rhythm either through the week or whatever your work week is, you know, five days in a row kind of doing the same thing and then two days of a reset. So start, if you're starting 13 to 11, then just doing that five days in a row, really trying to hone in on those hours that you're not eating, making sure you're I mean, really nothing except for water before you go to sleep and then water when you wake up um, and having a clean diet during the day. We also really try to encourage people, especially who've been snacking all the time. Um, for a long time, recommendations were eat every two hours. Your body needs that protein every two hours. Um, I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying that if you're trying to fast, eating every two hours is not going to help you. I think you really need to try to group your meals. So have a breakfast, eat until you're full. Don't eat again. Don't, don't pick at popcorn. Don't pick at cheese. Don't pick at nuts. 
wait until it's lunchtime, then eat again there. So that's even creating, that's an, before you even um, go to the nighttime fasting, that's something people can do. If they don't think they can go overnight without food, then just really try to eat meals and not yeah. snack. So that's another way to just really start training your body and your brain and understanding your relationship with food a little more. Awesome. And what is a, you mentioned a reset, uh, three to five days on and like two days off of the fast. So what does a reset look like? Um, so when we do like a long fast reset, we call a three, three day is what we generally will do. So 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what you're referring to. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So when we do group fasts and or long fast with our patients, they're usually 72 hours. They look like mostly water, black coffee is allowed. We, um, you can have up to a tablespoon of heavy cream, but not like every two hours. So you can throw a tablespoon of heavy cream in your coffee in the morning and you could throw another tablespoon in the evening with your decaf. Um, bone broth is generally allowed during that time. You just have to keep it easy. Like not a lot of it because there is some protein in bone broth, but Mm. it's usually the salt that you need. Um, we encourage some pickle juice drinking because it's a good salt. And a lot of times when you're in ketosis, you start peeing a lot because, um, that's what kind of what happens when your body's not burning glucose anymore and you're using ketones as fuel. So you need more water and you, thus you need more salt. Um, so we encourage the pickle juice. Um, and I think that's it. Black coffee, black tea, those kind of things. Um, we don't encourage sweeteners a lot of the, because the research isn't super solid on those. Um, some, some things say that stevia and monk fruit are okay. Some say they trigger your brain to potentially think you're getting a sweet treat and then have an insulin response. So if you need it, if you're, if you're struggling, if you think it'll help you get to the next big hunk, then do it. But if you don't, if you can go without it, then go without it. Awesome. And what are, and kind of one of my last questions, unless you guys say something really interesting and I come up with another one, um, <laughs> what are some ways that, uh, you've seen these without proper guidance and kind of coaching through it, just get really screwed up. Well, before I want to touch back to something you said, Alfred, about when we, when we're getting people started in the eating windows and things, Mm -hmm. because we have a lot of people who are in shift work and that makes it really, we have to get really creative as far as the eating window. So, um, For somebody who has a nine to five job and they get up, we'll say, okay, we'll just push that breakfast later and later into the morning. And a lot of times that just looks like pushing it 15 to 30 minutes every three to four days, depending on their tolerance level. So we we really, believe it or not, we don't want people to be hungry um, because nobody likes being hungry. Mm -hmm. So we kind of want to ease the body into this and not freak it out. And, you know, then if we have our late night snackers, we'll say, okay, we'll push that snack just a little bit earlier into the evening. I do want to kind of, you know, make a comment to those who work shift work that you can make this work however you need to. So what we, what we're doing and what Sarah was explaining with the 16 and the eight and 18 and six is you really kind of take that period of time that you're sleeping because that is a fast. When people say I've never fasted, I'm like, yes, you have, you went to bed. So yes, you did. You take that and you use it in, to your advantage and you lengthen it on either side. So when we're talking with shift workers, we'll usually start with the longest period of time that they sleep and then we'll kind of work back and work on the front end and the back end of that to lengthen that time for them, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I did shift work for over 10 years um, as a paramedic. So yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I used fasting during that time because it made, it just, my body kind of naturally fell into it and it made sense for me. Yeah. Yeah, I worked night shift for a decade almost. And I found naturally, I didn't want to eat at like after one o'clock in the morning. I just felt sick. So I would go ahead and start basically pretend that was my fasting hours and then go to bed and then break my fast when I woke up in the afternoon. You know, yeah. it's just, I think your body has a, a time frame that it doesn't like to eat. Like yeah, you can shove sure. some junk food in there at 4 a.m. when you're dying, you can't stay awake, but it doesn't feel good. No, you feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really bad. But yeah, I used to stop mine around the same time whenever calls would get either really crazy or really slow. And it was like, ooh, I can take a nap. I basically just use that. Well, now I'm only drinking water. And then when I get off work, I'll go to bed and sleep until it's just about time for me to go to work. I'd eat a couple hours into the shift and that's it. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was super easy. What 
because I, I actually work with quite a few people that work uh, still work EMS and a couple of nurses now. And what I found with them is just the level of stress, especially currently, that they feel because of a bunch of unknowns. Um, they are just having a super hard time adhering to it. Um, them just going through it themselves and working through the windows are like, nope, had had a candy bar, two o'clock in the morning. It was that or fall asleep on my desk because I'm losing my mind. Okay, yeah, well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The rough days. <laughs> yeah. I'm a half a candy bar plus a hard boiled egg. <laughs> I know, right? Can you add a protein snack to that? Yeah. <laughs> so, <we can> <laughs> so you All want right. me to eat during my window? No, but it's okay. <laughs> I forgive you. Oh, Corona, you've uh, made a no good uh, stamp on our culture. All right, so back to your question about if anyone, if for patients or people who have done it and had a bad, yeah. yeah, okay. Bad experience either because of lack of accountability or because of, you know, the internet and yeah. the amount of mixed messages that are in there. People on this call can see it and be like, okay, well, those two things are conflicting each other. Somebody right. else will just say, I'm just going to go for it from what this one says. Um, so I know that's one way that it can kind of get messed up or misinterpreted and not work as well. But what are some other things kind of practically throughout the day that you've seen where people are just like, yeah, I'm really just screwing the pooch on this? Yeah, I think um, where I've seen it more often than not, not really in our practice because we're kind of talking to patients on a every few days uh, to weekly basis. So we're, we keep in close touch with them, especially when they are fasting. So if they have any questions, they can reach out and we can talk through those. Where I've seen fasting go wrong is in churches uh, when people who have not fasted on a regular routine and then all of a sudden the church has offers and says, hey, let's do a 24-hour fast. Well, that's great. But a lot of times people don't realize just how important it is what they eat before, what they eat after, what they eat on a regular basis affects how they feel during that fast. So for instance, a lot of times these are the symptoms that people will say, oh, I can't fast. They get really tired. They have difficulty co concentrating. They get headaches. Um, they feel nauseous. Um, so those are all types of things that we've had people say, yeah, no, I can't fast. And when Sarah and I are talking to them, we'll say, actually, that's not the fast that's causing the problems. That's your refined carbohydrate withdrawal going on. So if we can clean that up, then I can almost guarantee that your next fasting experience will be a good one. Now, that being said, I think Sarah and I can both agree that we've had really awesome fasts and we've had some really, really bad fasts where you just abort. And you can do everything right. You can do it exactly like you did the last time you fasted. And sometimes your body, I don't know, it's just got some funk in it or, or something's not quite right and you just need to abort. So we do tell patients a lot that fasting number that you put on it, whether it's 16, 18, 24, 72, that is just a number. And just because you make it to 23 hours and are either hangry uh, or have a, you know, you're just not doing well during that fast, pushing yourself to 24 isn't worth it. Just go ahead and break it. Um, because going through an hour of misery, you really do not get the benefit to your body. And it doesn't undo the 23 hours prior that you just worked hard on. Right. There's no, there's no fix for it because you decided to make poor choices or bad circumstance. The fast isn't going right. to wipe that all away. That's yeah. great advice. Cool. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I had a really good question because you said something awesome that I wanted to talk about. Oh, I remember. So um, breaking the fast and going into it. Um, mm -hmm. What should a plate look like? Mm. Sarah? <laughs> so going into it, um, I know you've posted on this, so I, I know your answer, but I'd love to hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like, I like a really clean plate going into a fat and a nice dose of a fast and a nice dose of fat going into it. Um, so a meat and a couple of lower carb veggies, green stuff with some olive oil in there, throw in some olives and all your, all your favorite accoutrements on there, um, nuts. And then 
some sort of fat bomb I like I really like before going into a fast. So either an extra dollop of um, cream in your coffee or actually making the little sweeter fat bombs um, with that have either butter or coconut oil or other those that are pure fat substances in them before you start. I think it really just kind of gives you a lot of fat to feel confident and you feel really full and satiated after that. You haven't, you don't feel deprived before you start it. Um, and it's hopefully delicious and, you know, cook your best meal, put it on a pretty plate, sit at a table, you know, have your drink and your husband and your family and, you know, really make it a fun experience because you know, you're about to be in the desert and it gives you a, like a happy memory to think about before you are eating for whatever extended period of time it's going to be. Um, and I also, I didn't mention this earlier, but if you have kids and you think, oh, man, I can never like fast for dinner, just make yourself a bowl of that bone broth and sit at the table with your family or heat up a hot bowl of um, water and just put some salt and pepper and some spices in there. So you are actually enjoying the meal with your family, even though you're not partaking a whole bunch of food in. Awesome. Cool deal. And did you guys speak about kind of why you want the meal to be as, um, as much whole foods as possible versus anything processed just for caloric density. Um, because you've, and you've mentioned it a couple times talking the loss in sodium because of the increase in water and other vitamins and minerals that may be lost if you're not replacing them over a longer period of time, which generally make the fast suck. Um, do you guys talk about that with them at all? I'm gonna let Megan take the, that. We do. I actually have this really cool, I draw it out for every Look how excited she got. <laughs> I know. Oh, if only y'all could see. Okay. Oh, so, all right. When we talk with patients, I tell them, I give them the illustration of a dorm size or like one of those hotel size refrigerators, the little dinky ones that you can only fit like a couple of cans of soda in. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a deep freeze. Okay, like it's really deep. It is one of the biggest ones. Okay, the small little dorm refrigerator is what I refer to as their glycogen stores. And I'm saying you don't have a whole lot of glycogen stores. That's only going to last you about 18 to 36 hours, depending on every individual. And then your deep freeze are your fat stores. So that's your love handles. That's your muffin tops. That's all the good stuff you want to get rid of. And that's a really clean form of energy to use. So when we talk about trying to tap into that through fasting, we talk about, okay, the more starch and the more sugar you eat, that means it's going to go directly into that little dorm fridge right there. And if, if that's really full, it's going to take us much longer to kind of burn through that to get to the good fuel down in the deep freeze. So when, when we kind of really push proteins and fats, it's, there's a lot of reasons why we do that. Um, it helps with satiety. Um, like, you know, if we, if we eat a hundred calories of potato chips versus roasted chicken and broccoli with an Alfredo sauce, a hundred calories worth, which one's going to keep you fuller longer? No we kind of know, oh yeah, that creamy sauce and chicken, all that's going to keep me full. Right. So people know that common sense wise. I think science sometimes makes it to where they think they don't, but they really do when they, mm -hmm. when they start to think about it. So we do use proteins and fats because we know that that keeps the body fuller longer. And so we kind of try to use that in our, to our advantage when we're starting a fast and also when we're breaking a fast. But it kind of goes back to, you know, this glycogen, and it's really hard to explain this without my illustration. Like, it's kind of killing me not to have a whiteboard right now. We got to get that for you. <laughs> yeah. Just so, out. So you can pull it out a piece of paper. Just boom, here it is. <laughs> this is. This is your big freezer, and this is your little refrigerator. Let's go. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So when you think about that small refrigerator, you're wanting to deplete those glycogen stores in order to access those fat stores or those ketones. So if you're doing that on a regular basis by what you eat, then your fasts are going to be that much more effective at tapping into those fat stores and getting you the results that you want. Yeah. 
because you don't have to burn the glucose again. You don't have to go all the way through what's in the fridge. You're already in the deep freezer. You're already using that fuel when yep. you're in, in your fast. Yep. And once you get used to it after just really good consistency and working through it, it's always going to go back to the deep freezer. I get it. I don't need the picture. <laughs> yeah, I draw a picture of a Mack truck that's carting diesel fuel. And I'm like, so the Mack truck runs out of his 40 gallon tank and he can access that 90 gallon tank back there. He can drive forever. Yeah. Never has to stop. So you guys are, you guys are both much more creative than me. I'm like, if you can just use your fat stores. <laughs> just, just do it come on you have to use your other stores of fuel and you'll burn fat you don't get that so like no, do you have not. a picture or something no i don't have a picture yeah, pictures <laughs> <laughs> i am not a visual learner like that like ah, that makes sense yeah we I, i've even added a little a little cross guard cop of insulin to the picture to kind of let them oh understand gosh. Because, you know, it's one of the things, I am a nerd. I mean, I don't think most of us who went to med school can, can not tout that. Right. But I do think it's really important for people to understand what's going on in, in their body. Because if I just give them a list or Sarah gives them a list of what to eat and what not to eat, they'll follow it for a few weeks. But when it gets into months and years, if they don't really understand why she said stay away from white rice or why stay away from you know, pasta and bread and go for the vegetables and the good meats and proteins, then it's not going to be really easy to, to adhere to in month 12 or month 18. Right. But if they can understand, okay, well, this is the science because when I eat this, it spikes my insulin and, and all those types of things. I really think people need to try to understand how their body works in order to make it work the best for them for, for life. Yeah. And then once they know what they have to do and they feel good from doing those things, then it really comes down to, well, yeah, this is like you said, yeah, this is the science, but really, man, I'm just a fan because I feel good. Right. And exactly. if, you can, if you can get them, if we can get them there, then that's a win. Cause then they're bought in, they'll do it forever. They will literally do it forever. Yes. Yeah, well, and the other side of it is, Megan mentioned it, the feasting side of it. So once you had the famine and you can lead up into that feast and, and have something special and enjoy something extra, like often it's not something you usually partake in, cake or brown, whatever it is, if you're celebrating something back when they ended their famines and they had these massive feasts to celebrate, they, their bodies did okay with it because they had cleaned everything up and had such a good fast. And so then that period of feasting was well received by their body instead of just making them want to take a nap like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Somebody told me earlier today, they said, when I eat crap, I feel like crap. Well, maybe if we change that around a little bit and gave yourself the opportunity that allowed you to have the food that you enjoy, because they love to bake and eat with their family and have the mm -hmm. food is social for them. Yeah. Right. So um, change some things around. And when you are, like you said, you are feasting, then, um, you can enjoy it without having to, now again, like you said, there's no, this isn't like a buy-in to eat garbage for the no. <laughs> for the 10 hours that you're fasting. I don't want anybody to listen to this here that, hey, they no. said basically Not I could I eat meant. cake. <laughs> I could eat, somebody will say it. So basically I can eat cake. Fast. Right. <laughs> That's all they heard. They heard cake and yeah. brownies. <laughs> basically brownies and cake after a long fast. I'm fasting tomorrow. Also, I mean, I think once you get used to this way of eating and how great your body feels when you're not burning good glucose all the time, like you start cleaning up your baking items and using the almond flours and the more nutritious flours. So it's not just ground up wheat that's been processed and bleached, you know, so it's actually got some nutrients in there. Yeah. You, you know, the tapioca flours, the coconut, all those different things that actually benefit your body as well. And then using those to make your favorite treats and yeah. they still taste really good and they're not full of garbage. So there's a lot of ways to include um, treat type food without eating straight sugar and candy bars. And I think was something that you said there that was really interesting to me was things that benefit your body. I think that's a great way to look at food. Whenever I'm eating something, I always think like, what is this physically going to do for me? So I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a gym rat. So everything that I do centers around, my biggest priority outside of my family is me just going to the gym. Mm -hmm. So um, everything we that I do. 
fuel in our four pillars. We didn't want, we didn't call it food. It's fuel. It's yeah. what makes your body work. Like yeah. it's how your body runs. If you're putting water and gasoline in your tank, that's not going to work right because your, your tank just needs gasoline. Absolutely. You're putting garbage in that's, you're just bought, your body's not going to burn it. Yeah, absolutely right. I don't think it's gonna, and I've I've experienced that even, even recently now. I have two little kids, and they're my they're kind of my excuse, right? Look, oh, my kids want some ice cream. Heck yeah, I eat some ice cream with you guys. And very rarely does that happen, but lately my wife's been like, hey, I bought some ice cream. One. <laughs> well, that has to go. I treat it like an enemy, like it can't be in my house, but I don't throw it away. <laughs> I know it's really tough and you know it's funny because we'll we'll talk to some patients and we'll say it's not that we're wanting to take away an indulgence I, I don't like calling it a cheat because that makes it sound like you're doing something bad oh for sure but like taking a splur you know you saying you're splurging or you're indulging those are totally okay it's just that we want to indulge because it's an anniversary or a birthday not because it's Wednesday Right. And so I think that's where our culture has kind of gotten this idea that you feast, 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 in the words of Dr. Seuss, and you, you really never take a break from it. And I mean, we see it with our kids, you know, uh, they get a math problem, right? They get a piece of candy. Uh, they go get their haircut. They get a lollipop. Yep. They go through the drive through at the bank. They get a lollipop, yep. you know, so it's, and it's, it's well-intended, but I think it's something that we all kind of have to take a step back and say, what, what are we kind of perpetuating here if we're really going to take a hold of fueling our bodies the right way? Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Um, cool. I think I'm good. You guys have anything else you want to add? Um, anything that you have going on right now um, in this particular scenario? I know you guys have clients, whether or not you're accepting clients or doing consults, anything like that. You can absolutely feel free to put that in here. And, um, We'll put up your links for all your site stuff in the show notes for the for the podcast. Um, there will be some video snippets of this stuff um, and probably a full length YouTube video because that's always fun. Um, I picked this thing apart once we're done with it. It's like a little science project. Oh boy. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> but um, and most of them are going to be. You, I like to keep it to where the guests are talking. You guys are the experts. I, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I vomit the same stuff every week um so not true most of it'll be um what you guys have going on and uh yeah anything else you guys want to add we are accepting new patients everything is virtual um obviously since non-essential places are not allowed to be open right now um we are meeting with patients like this um on our secure site we have a secure server that we communicate with our patients on and that's how we keep in touch on a texting basis and a phone call and video basis so that's how we're able to still see everybody um and still give care uh, obviously we can't meet in person um and work out or do any of those kind of things together but we can still stay in touch with all our people awesome and any you guys need, or if anybody wants to find you on social, that's kind of the medium where we get people to come and talk to us about stuff. Anything that you're putting up on social that you think would be beneficial to people, you can, uh, you want to plug your, um, your names you've been right. talking about? Yeah. yeah, at CL Medicine and at CLM underscore kitchen. Okay. Awesome, guys. And we're on Facebook. I think cool. that's just, I think it's just Concord Longevity Medicine on there. Okay. Concord Longevity Medicine on Facebook. Awesome. Um, if you're listening to this, check them out. Uh, if you're interested in fasting or just uh, cleaning up your nutrition for health and longevity, check them out. Um, and that's it, guys. Thanks, Alfred. Thank you so much. Easy Alfred. peasy, right? Easy peasy. I'm was... sweating profusely. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs>